0: To another episode of Wednesday Night Live, and we are enjoying the presence of the Lord here at Father's Church. And we welcome everybody to, to uh, Texas in the summertime. I used to tell my friends when I first came down here there's no place like Wednesday Night Church in Texas in August because <laughs> it is hot. But we've got a rather hot topic to bring tonight from the Word of the Lord, and it's uh, it's about edification. And uh, I just know that this is a word from God for us. And I want to begin by releasing a blessing over every every intercessor, every saint who has remained faithful in their calling to continue to remember their intercessory giftings and uh, i know that over the years there have been a lots of things that have affected us one way or another and there have been up times and down times and challenges but the fact is that you all are still here and for god that counts a lot i heard this said that the greatest ability is availability and that's that's where we are. Write that down. Put that on the sign. <laughs> so uh, I, I release a blessing to all of you because uh, this, these past couple of years have been transitional years. The Father warned us prophetically that we were in transition. And the transition has been one of travail and one of great blessings and breakthroughs. We've known grace. But there's been a tightness, almost as if uh, the message we shared a couple of weeks ago about Hannah, who, was, who, who her spirit was compacted and was, was really uh, pressed, that's the key to birthing grace. And that's what we've been facing in these past couple of years. And so I thank all of you who have remained faithful to your calling. And I, I simply ask the Father to pour out pour out his spirit within you and upon you in ways of his choosing. Each of you need different things. I think one of the first things you need is an encouragement and a refreshing um, uh, or a replenishing is probably a better word. But with that replenishing of things that you've poured out before the Lord, God not only gives you what you had, but he gives you more than you had, and he expands your capacity, which is a wonderful thing. So I speak that over all of you. And um, as we we approach this really vital gathering here in Dallas next month, it's just a little over a month away. Isn't that strange? Bev, can you imagine that? Just in a month, you'll be up there in the Sound. It's not really a booth. It's more like a... It's more like a, yeah, it's more like an area, Roseland, you know, just up there. Um, The seminar will be here real soon, and uh, I think that the Lord is giving us uh, a posturing and a knowing of our place in this crucial season. And uh, as I was preparing for this message tonight, I could see this flow pattern, And it really has to do with our calling to edify the church um, and to see that the church step into the role that God created it to be as the ecclesia, that the church would really be not just people who get excited about visitations or wanna hear the latest prophetic word but the church who is fulfilling their governmental function on earth, following the Father, doing what he calls you to do, uncovering the hidden gates, redeeming them from the power of darkness and to welcome through the power of the cross the victories of the histeme. And um, our calling is to the church. That's our apostolic calling. To raise up saints, and you think about the things that God has given us as vital giftings. Diversities of tongues was one, and as we study them over the years, we recognize that God, in His flow pattern of the fivefold offices, said that the pastor and all, albeit churches needed to be functioning in diversities of tongues, and growing up in Pentecost. That was not happening in any of the churches that I was in. Uh, we knew unknown tongues and a few kind of peripheral spirits would speak in a couple of languages, and I blessed them. But for the most part, the idea of un- of diversities of tongues was not known in most Pentecostal churches and certainly what it meant. Proskuneo um, in the church, that was another thing that god the father looks for saints in the church that or prophets dare i say prophets was not in the church pneumatikos the spiritual ones was not in the church and so and there are many other things but the church needed the ecclesia the fivefold offices was not really grasped and in the church these things needed an apostolic awakening they needed a pioneering group to pray to demonstrate it and to welcome it into the spiritual atmosphere and that is that was Paul's ministry and that was a ministry and is a ministry that God has given to us and I know there are many other needs I know there are many social concerns I know there are many other things that you can divest yourself into but we have to remain call faithful to the Tetheme and the calling god gave us from his throne he's not changed his mind and even though we may may recognize that it is as a commonplace function that should not be a testament to us that it's lost its fervor that should be a testament to us that thank god the foundation has been laid and you know you know, sometimes we would walk through different palaces in Europe, and you'd think, how could anybody live in here? You know, how could anybody walk where the walls are covered with gold and, you know, these these amazing things? And you, you, you realize that people who live there every day just got used to it. But when we travel and when we see nations opening and they're famished for just a crumb of the elemental thing that God has given us, we recognize that there are continents and entire people groups that God has prepared for us and those who are aligned with us in the saints' movement to go and make disciples. And um, so um, the, we're going to look at this term edification, but we're going to see some of the ways that Paul used it and it really does affirm what our calling is to the church and uh, we're going to be looking at edification or edify and it's oikidome we've talked about this we've said in the past that it's an architectural plan it's God's plan is to build something according to plan it was in the new testament used to describe the temple in Jerusalem, it was also described, uh, used to describe the walls of the heavenly temple and particularly it's the ultimate plan of God. So when we are edifying the church and when we are speaking words to the development of what God wants in the church, meticulously God has us intercede for what he wanted in the church to be known, to be understood in the word, and to be manifested for those that are hungry, so that the church might step further and further into what he ordained it to be. And that's what edifying is. It's not, you know, just making somebody feel better, it is aligning people with the eternal plan of God. So, 1 Corinthians 14 12, even so you. For as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, and that there is just pneuma, a moving in the spirit, seek that you may excel to the edifying, the oikodome of the church. Paul was speaking to spirit-filled Christians here. So because they were saved and because they spoke in unknown tongues didn't mean that they had it all. Paul was telling them you have to continue to align yourself with the eternal identity that god is continuing to unveil for the ecclesia for that governmental body the called out ones who are to be god's representatives on the earth so paul continues in first second corinthians 12 verse 19 again Think ye that we excuse ourselves unto you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying, for your oikodome. And so there again, Paul in his in his second epistle, which is probably really his third epistle, he references he references um, that in the second corinthians that he had written a an epistle that was there were probably three but and that's neither here nor there um but he's hitting again that they needed to recognize that paul's ministry was to continue to equate equ- acquaint them with the unveiling of what god's eternal plan is and it's for the church that's what paul ministered to for the building of the church for the growing of the church and you know i think that's probably one of the reasons the church one of the reasons that the, the the church in general has not grown up in the things of god because we were taught from the earliest days that what we had to do was just testify and birth babies you know, testify and bring souls into the kingdom or to, um, you know, send missionaries out to go and bring more children into the kingdom. That's needed in the church. I'm not saying that we have to have that. But there was very little, there was very little um, emphasis on actually edifying the church. and And that's why so many of these things that should be, foundational in the church are just we discover them and it's kind of funny that we discover them because they should have been in the church all along you know they should have been in the church all along but um, the, the church has not recognized this calling to edify not just to learn more scripture not just to learn the original languages, not just to uh, go and add 15 different degrees behind your name, but to actually edify according to the plan of God. And see, then we also convinced ourselves that once we're born again, and once we are spirit-filled, and then we pay our tithe, and we attend church, and we pass out tracts every now and then we support missionaries that that's the apex of it we've got it all and and so when we do that we we shut ourselves off from continuing to grow in the scripture and we even do that with the word of God I say we as the general church where we think we understand everything and even the passages that we don't understand we just read faster and um, or we'll make up some kind of an inane explanation that most people in the room think that doesn't make any sense it's not that it's too hard it just doesn't make any sense i remember in seminary i would hear some uh, some passages talked about and and i would sit i usually sat in the back of the class i won't say why but i'd usually sit toward the back Um, it's easier to make wisecracks back there no (laughs) but you know it um i would I would hear the professor and I'd bless them explaining something and i'd think that just doesn't make any sense like I remember a teacher went on and on about how sin and iniquity was the same thing, and i said i thought it can't be it can't it can't be and then i'd i'd hear i heard one guy teach about what the spiritual ones were in first in corinthians and he would he would uh, he would pronounce the Greek word pneumaticos, he would say, and he would say that he would say that this is just, these were just people that had been around a while. (laughs) I I know a lot of people who've been around a while, and some of them were about as spiritual as a doorknob, so being around a while wasn't really a testament of deep spiritual understanding. So I think that we kind of thought that God living word couldn't breathe anything new and so i guess i'm just using those as minimal illustrations to the fact that um is is a necessary ministry for the church and within the church growing according to god's plan and um and and i guess it's not really that it's really not anything to pat ourselves on the back for Um, as much as god has allowed us to see and to do uh, it's almost like a 20 year old who's gone finally to school and is on a third grade level i mean that's not hey mom i can read like jethro bodine (laughs) anybody remember who he was okay good so, anyway, Paul had this ministry in, in a number of ways, but you can see him continually using this rather unique word to tell the church they needed to continue to align themselves with the eternal plan of God. Romans 14, verse 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. And again, that's this is not shalom, it's Irene, but that's the derivative in the Greek for shalom, which doesn't mean just everybody being serene. It means that You learn how to embrace the tasks of the Father and bring them through to a point of conclusion. That's what peace really is. And there is a serenity. Serenity, no! There is a serenity uh, when that comes because uh, you fulfilled something and your, your, your individual calling is satisfied in a way that humans don't experience on this earth other than to let that depth of your spirit partner with god to achieve something and it's it's beyond pride it's beyond uh any kind of human accolade um and so that's that's really what the measure of peace is and the things wherewith one may edify another so This would say that when we come to a point as a church of accomplishing something in God, everyone as a part of that accomplishment should be recognizing a greater alignment with the plan of God. And isn't that the way it has been? That's why it's a to-do and to teach. Uh, If you take that and extrapolate out, when you have partnered with God in something even let's just take it from the, from the, from the uh, elemental level. When you've interceded and prayed before the throne and you emerge from that, you have understandings you didn't have before. And that therefore illuminates capacities in the scripture that you weren't able to see before. And, and so it is when you step into a, uh, a partnership with God in a certain theater of operation and you gain a victory, Um, when you emerge from that, you should have the radiance of accomplishment for the Father, but you also should recognize that there is a building up and an alignment with the Father's plan in who we are and what we're called to do that's beyond what we were before we had that victory. Does that make sense? So here Paul, to the Corinthians and to the Romans, mentions this need for the church to be edified. And um, this is an important thing for us to see because, you know, that's a a large part. We not only are called to function as the ecclesia, and you have been called to pioneer many of these things, and to not only embrace them, pioneer them, but demonstrate them that then makes the way for others to come. Um, That's the greatest gift. You know, and you think, why is that the greatest gift? Well, we're to be like Jesus, and what did he do? He came to make the way. He was the firstborn of many brethren. And he said, greater things than these will you do because I do go to my Father. And he said, greater works will you do. You will will benefit from what I've done but it was elemental and there were very few that were there how many of his followers were at the cross <laughs> less than a handful and um, so that let this mind be in you which was also in christ jesus who being god thought it not robbery to be equal with god but made himself the servant now i'm now i'm embellishing made himself a servant, made himself a seed, made himself a firstborn. And that's what we have to be as pneumatic people. And there's not a lot of accolades. There's not a lot of headlines. There's not going to be... When you see a lot of things begin to move in this city, um, some of you, by the enemy's inclination, is going to say, oh, we must have missed it. Look, it's happening over there. Um... (laughs) <laughs> you better hold your ground because it's important for you to do that on behalf of the Father. That's just the way he moves. So, look at this well-known passage in 1 Corinthians 14, 3. He that prophesieth speaks unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. These three, we've talked about this before. The objective the prophetic identity in this threefold measure is that we align ourselves with the eternal plan of God, the orkodome. We align ourselves. We become what he has shown us, and we establish that because the next thing that's going to happen is the periclesis, the exhortation, where the Spirit through us is calling for others to come and join with what God wants. Now, was when we were all growing up as little Pentecostal kids, we would hear this and we would say, Well, that's what the Comforter does. You may be broken down alongside the road, and he's like the Spirit is like a heavenly AAA. You just call out for help, and he comes a flying. And isn't it something? that the bible says he's the comforter one of my favorite memories was when i would go to see my blessed grandma and i'd sit there on the sofa and she'd bring out the comforter that she had knitted for many long months and oh it felt so warm that's what the holy ghost is for you that's the way it was preached it was and when you look at this you think that's as endearing as that is, it's a bunch of hogwash because it is not what this means. The Holy Ghost isn't coming to bail you out. You're partnering with the Holy Ghost and he is calling out for others to come and join into this oikodome, to be what they're supposed to be. And that's what making disciples is. Bringing people to feast at the table that God has laid before them, but it's for the purpose of fulfilling the Father's plan. And then the last one is comfort. Well, paramythia, paramythos is this. And it's got uh, that, that Greek word myth, which means, you know, you've heard of Greek myths, and, you know, it, it, they always have a hero. They always have a fulfillment of the story they always have people rising to do exploits in Greek mythology uh, that is, uh, that is uh, ordained by the heavens where Zeus and uh, ruled. And, um, but for us, it means that you are fulfilling the purpose of God for your life. You are rising up as mighty men and women. You are demonstrating the great story of the ages and you are bringing it to a fulfillment. This is what Paul says, but it begins by edification. And if you don't have people aligning themselves with what God's eternal plan is for the growth and development of his ecclesia, nothing else matters. Other other than that, you may be having nice meetings and waiting for the next nice meeting, but if you're not aligning yourself with the Father's purpose and fulfilling the Tetheme Of his spirit that he put in you from the foundation of the world what are you doing so we have this threefold you're doing the oikodome of God you are partnering with the spirit to call others to join in that to fulfill what they're called to do and to do their part wherever they might be placed and then for them to demonstrate the fulfillment of the story where they're partnering with their father and they are, um, they're demonstrating the identity of the mighty men or the sons of God. You know, it's amazing how many of these Greek myths influenced by the enemy had demigods or sons of God, sons of Zeus, sons of Poseidon, um, sons of other things. <laughs> we know a lot of them, don't we? But they, they embraced this concept of partnering with the heavens and human, humanity partnering with a spiritual influence. They didn't really recognize it, but it was what God, uh, God was really wanting from people. And I think that's tremendous. So let's look at these next two, which would speak about the, juxtap- not the juxtaposition, the antithesis of edification is deconstructing, and you'll see this here. Second Corinthians ten eight. And the, both of these are Paul kind of letting these people have it for their wayward activities. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord has given us for edification, and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. Destruction there is not just obliteration, it is a literally deconstructing something. So if you have oikodelme which is gradually embracing the architectural plan of God, destruction would be meticulously dismantling it. Second Corinthians 13.10, Therefore I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the power which the lord has given to me to edification oikodome and not to destruction and i think uh, the enemy the enemy recognizes this principle very clearly and in fact he he detests this principle he detests the idea of the father partnering with you you know we've said this many times that jesus said that the enemy was a man killer from the beginning murder Literally, man killer. He didn't want this plan. Iniquity was found in his heart. Jealousy, because of what God revealed to him about His plan, God's plan for us. So, if you step alongside that, you recognize that God's plan for us would entail us embracing the point-by-point development of what His eternal structure is and so if that is going on and it is for the church and god is wanting that which he is meticulously supervised for you and for us the enemy desire would be to deconstruct that to point by point chip away at understandings chip away at cardinal uh principles chip away at the definings of our identity and we find that happening across our nation in many different ways. Um, and I, I do think this is an antichrist strategy and it's aptly named because Christ is indicative of the Son that has embraced the calling of the Father and the anointing to accomplish that. We are to be Christ-like. We are Christian which means Christ-like. We are to be joint heirs with Christ. And that's what we're to be. So the Antichrist would be not only against that, but to be trying to destroy that or to deconstruct that. And that we studied about the Antichrist spirit many, many years ago and we remember from that understanding that the epistles tell us that the antichrist is largely fed by the church they come out from you and that um and there are many reasons i think for that um because first one of the main ones is the enemy isn't coming up with fresh anointings um some of the anointings that the Father has released to his people have been things that he's reserved for this time frame, things that he's reserved for this hour and that he, observed, that he reserved for you to be born into this hour and to use. The enemy doesn't have that. That only comes from the Father. The enemy hated that whole thing. Now, so the, his, only, his only way is to try to be like the Most High to position people like he did with Simon the sorcerer in Histemes, to try to get them to proskuneo before him, which is what he tried to do with Jesus in the, in the wilderness temptation. And what the Bible clearly says every time the mark of the beast is mentioned, it says that if they don't take the mark and proskuneo before him. So the enemy's going to employ a lot of these principles that we've been being trained in but he's also going to be using uh, if he can, giftings in people who've been put on this earth for such a time as this for this time frame, and even specific capacities of the anointing given to them, which is the way the the seven uh, the Council of Seven operates. All of these fallen angels operate on the basis of the anointing that was put in them when God created them. That's how they operate. And so they've become expert, specifically Beelzebub expert, in how to utilize absconded anointings and how to be infiltrators in places where uh, histemi deposits are, deposits of the glory are. Remember, these are old teachings. Remember when Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth and the glory in them? He knows where these are. Those have been reserved for the sons to bring magnificent radiance of the Father's plan. But the enemy knows all these things. So his battle in the end time, if you look in Revelation and in Daniel, is to try to wear out the saints and to do a better job of having anointed sons than the church does that's what antichrist is you have false prophets it doesn't surprise me, the false prophet it doesn't surprise me that um, it doesn't surprise me at all that there are people who are dabbling in the spirit realm and who can prophesy and say things I mean the enemy's been doing that with familiar spirits to soothsayers god spoke about them in in the old testament um it doesn't surprise me that there would be the false prophetic with lying signs and wonders and it doesn't surprise me that the beast which is most likely a fallen um i didn't intend to teach on this tonight but most likely somewhat of a counterpart to those beasts in heaven that supervise the overall plan of God. You have Behemoth who who supervises this enemy plan, and that would be indicated by the beast. It's not some big computer in Belgium. Any of you who bought that book from prophetic teachers in the 70s, you recognize that there's more computer power in your iPhone than there was in that beast in Belgium. So, um, so you can burn that book if you want to, um, but you know you see that prophetically depicted for us in the Bible, and every one of those is a direct counter to what God is trying to do through His saints and through His people. So, as you can see, we have a great job to do in edifying the church, and we need to stand firmly making proclamation in the spirit realm against any and all attempt of uh, deconstruction of the plan of God. We need to make, we need to, this is scripture. We need to stand before the courts of heaven and declare that what God has given us does not belong to the enemy. We need to ask for every mantle that is currently being eyed by the enemy that be restored to its proper owner the father and given to somebody who will serve in it and we need to come against this aspect of deconstructionism that stands against the orchidome of god the modernist movement right now is trying to dip strongly into some of the ancient waters the anointings that were in the old methodist church in the wesleyan church the warming of the spirit the the high structure and that's the scariest part methodist is method they're very organized and we we need to lay claim to that anointing and come against the enemy desire for deconstruction and we this is one of the things that the Lord put this on my heart for us to share tonight we need to recognize the authority we have in the heavens as intercessors we need to recognize where God has placed us. You are not a minimal voice. Your voice has power, great power. And this is why Paul was saying here, I reckon, I'm ticked off at you people. He says, I would use sharpness with you, and I have to be careful to remember that I've been called to partner with the oikodome of God and not the deconstruction that I see happening in you. So we need to we need to we need to be used to the father in authority in that way and I certainly intend to. Um it's it's an interesting time. But you know as I was saying uh during our filibuster time here before we went on uh on to recording um the Lord is truly emphasizing the necessity for you to to recognize what he has called you to be and how vitally you've been used as an intercessor. And that—that that is in so many ways a hidden calling. It is the remnant. It is the few. It is what Elijah... You know, think about that. Elijah wasn't a dummy. He, he understood a lot of things. Now, he gave place during this narrowing of a spirit before the time of Elisha came and before the time of kingdom setting uh, in the nation surrounding, that was a very challenging moment. Just as it was with Moses before they entered the promised land. That was a challenging moment. Both of those gentlemen weren't able to go through into that next time frame because because of that challenging moment and they, they succumbed to it. And um, Saul with David there was a challenge there and, and it was it was uh, Saul didn't ought to handle it. Um, and and I think we need to recognize that uh, we are we are God has used you. Don't minimize the 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 effectiveness of how you've been used don't judge things according to your soul don't judge things according to your eyes don't judge things according to your emotions don't judge things according to your weariness and well-doing don't judge things in accordance with perhaps you thought that maybe your mind had deduced what god was going to do and it didn't happen that way don't judge things according to that way because doesn't the bible say i has not seen ear has not heard neither has entered into the heart of any person the glorious things that god has reserved for those who loved him so what god is going to do is not going to be hasn't this happened so many times i'm i mean to tell you um it, it hasn't affected our commitment and our willingness to follow, but the pathway God led us on as a church and the pathway God led us on as saints has been vastly different than what I thought he was going to do. How about you? And so don't allow the enemy to use that as a detriment in your life because what God's going to do None of us have seen. It's a surprise. God loves the suddenly. How many things did he do that was suddenly? And when they were on Pentecost and all with one accord and suddenly, and the last trump is going to be a suddenly. Over and over again, there's suddenlies. You can't predict it. All you can do is be, be faithful and to trust that what God said he's going to do, how he's going to do it, is going to be grander than we know. But you've got to remain faithful in what God has called you to be and to do. And so I think, and I'm not going to forget about this last verse, but I think that as we pray, you know, last week I gave you an assignment about kneeling before the Lord as a commissioning for this new season. I think that was more, more essential than any of us realized because things have been really morphing and changing. Um this is very interesting. Uh um, Yesterday I was in here praying and um at that time I got a call from our brother up in Springfield uh at headquarters of the assemblies. I will not say his name. The name that shall not be spoken. As some of those good old boys up there still have need to get saved. But um he was saying that he was praying in diversities of tongues that morning and the Lord just showed him us and he just rejoiced at how that gift from God had revolutionized his life and revolutionized his prayers and he was just calling to thank us and to say that the Lord had put us on his heart and wanted us to be encouraged that's very interesting isn't it but there there is breakthrough um we just need to we need to remember the promises that god has given and um you know i think i'm just going to prophesy now um the very beginning the first couple of years that we were praying and we started to do the temple of the tabernacle of testimony um you know i was joking out in arizona this past week because paula Durham, she's probably listening hello george and paula She makes these pillows that you can use when you proscuneo. And you lay your head on the pillow. It's great. She sent us a couple of them. And so I called them Paula's prophetic pillows, the PPP. I said, we need a PPP when we do the TTT. And uh, so, um, but, uh, you know, I think that um, when you're up there, and, and, and think about what God has had us do over these past couple of months. I'm going to get back to the prophecy in a minute. The past couple of years, God has had us reestablish the gates. He's had us go back into the temple of the tabernacle and do things. And um, you have authority there. You have greater power there given by the Father than you realize. And you need to be making prosuke declaration there. You need, to be, you need to be doing it because there's power there. It resonates through not only the throne room, but it resonates through that temple and it resonates through the, the pillars, the stelos that reach to this earth. We need to be standing, proclaiming prophetically what God wants to do in the midst of the strife that's enveloped our nation. Where strife is, there's every evil work. That's why the enemy has stirred up the animosity and the strife in a way like I've never seen. You know, I lived to the 60s. I was just a little boy, but I was a very aware little boy. Um, I remember watching the nightly news. Walter Cronkite. I'd watch that, and I'd see our cities being burned, and I'd see lots of different things that were in the hippie movement and crazy. Vietnam War protests and bombings, lots of bombings that weren't really covered very much. There were hundreds of bombings that happened all over our nation with these different um, protest groups. But with all of that, there were, some, there were signs of unrest. There were some positive things that were happening, like in the Civil Rights Movement, very positive, necessary things but i don't remember a time where there was such strife as what we face now vehement strife where people not just not just select groups but people of all colors of all faiths all nationalities just divided not by groups but by mindset and somehow the enemy is using that strife to usher in he thinks an evil and what we need to be doing is this prosuke, this grace and prosuke prayer. And remember, we're praying. Remember our teachings that we saw from the scripture. We need to pray for the leadership of the country according to what God wants. It doesn't matter what you think of the, whoever it might be, whether it was President Obama or President Trump or President Duchamp, whoever it might be. We need to be, I didn't say which one, um, whoever, whoever it might be. Well we need to be declaring we need to be declaring what God wants into the midst of this environment there are many voices being raised but not very few that have the authority of a pneumatikos saint a son of the most high and you need to be using that the word always penetrates the darkness that's what John said in the opening of his gospel and the light the word he was the word And the light penetrated the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. Your words are essential in this time frame. And so we have to be careful what we say. Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of oikodome, that it may minister what? Grace to the hearers. In this year of grace, we need to be proclaiming things prophesying things that are in alignment with god's oikodome and god will lead you in this And don't just think that you're stirring up the air around you there's power in this and um i i know that it is a, a pneumaticus calling for us so back to the prophecy when we first started praying many years ago god showed and said to us that he was we're going to raise up an army of saints in South America. And it always astounded me back then, you know, when I would look at the United States and up into Canada and Mexico, the predominant factor there was purple and more the calling of sons, more the calling of people that would partner with God in welcoming his ways and welcoming his intercessors. And it, it always amazed me that the color that was the light blue of the saints was South America because we didn't have anybody that we knew of there. We, we didn't, I thought, I would think that. I didn't argue it. It didn't matter to me. i was just as happy to be sons. But we're the saints movement. And I think, Lord, you're going to raise up an army of saints in South America. Okay. And for years and years, we never saw that. I know God was doing, You had the Argentinian revival, he had all kinds of other things going on, other missionaries' works, but not the groundswell that God is doing now. And so I know that's coming, but at the same time as that, one of the things that we knew, and it was prophesied by Bill Lackey when he came, but also seen in a number of different ways, that at least a third to a half of the constituency of the Saints Network would be African-American people. That was prophesied. And I remember on many occasions being with our brothers and sisters. Um, I remember doing a, an activation up in our nation's capital with um, an African-American church that we ministered with a lot. And we were calling this forth. We stood on the steps where Martin Luther King gave his I Have a Dream speech and um, looking out over that water. And we we called forth the African-American church, which are the giants of the spirit in this nation. And I remember saying over and over again and feeling it, you know, I I grew up with... You know, we we, I, we lived in the projects until I was five. And then we moved into this little teeny house that was on the outside of the project. So I was sandwiched in between all of my black friends. And on the other side was a bunch of Catholic Eastern Europeans and Italians. What a strange... Now you can see why I'm so nutty. But I knew all the Motown songs because that's all the kids that I grew up with. And that explains to Robert Fulton why I know as many of those songs as he does. He says, I'm the blackest white guy he knows. So, But, you know, I would go sometimes to church with those guys. Sometimes in the singing group I was in, we would go and sing in an African-American church. And I thought, I almost said these people. (laughs) What do you mean these people? I thought, these folks are more... Excited in the Lord and more willing to move with the Spirit than anything we knew in my AG church. And uh, I remember going to that church in Ohio. I've told this story about when I was grappling with what I was going to do with my life. And I wanted to be other things. And I knew that God was saying to me, I needed to be in ministry, I needed to be a pastor. And so we went to this church south of Cleveland. It was a huge church, and it was mostly African-American, but the leader and his wife were white folks, and there were a lot of white folks there. And strangely, there were a lot of Latin people there too. I guess it was the hot spot for, the, for anything to do with the spirit in that part leading up to Lake Erie in, in, in Ohio. And um, I said, Lord these people are prophetic. We don't really have that ministry in our church. But if you want me to be a pastor, you let them prophesy that to me. And I'll know that that is a confirmation, even though I already knew that I was supposed to do this. But sometimes when we fleece, we're just really hoping that God isn't listening with the fleece appeal. And then we can go on and do what we want to do. So we made it all the way through the service, all the way through us singing and the preaching and all the ministry, laying hands on people and all that stuff. And uh, the pastor's wife got up and prayed to concluding prayer. And I was sitting back there thinking, I wasn't thinking I'm need to pa- i going to have to pack up this equipment we brought, put it in the van because we've got to drive two hours to Pittsburgh at 11 o'clock at night. I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking, whew, so she ended the thing, and here comes her, her husband, who is kind of a roly-poly guy. He comes walking up in his big suit on. He said, one more thing, dear. He said, there's somebody here. And he basically told the whole story. And so, but I, I remember that, the place that I really got that prophetic confirmation. I didn't go running up there, it's me. I was hoping for an appeal so i didn't acknowledge that it was just me but i looked and i thought this is a prophetic ministry it's multinational it's multi-colored and um, it's really something that's near and dear to my heart so when this was prophesied over us i knew that this was what god was going to do and the sleeping giant in this country is the african-american church and i'm still praying about what i i've testified in the past that you know a very dear friend of mine in bible college was a guy named lem thuston african-american kid son of a pastor from kansas and um, he and i uh, did a lot of things together and i would go with him when he would preach at Church of God in Christ and AME churches and I would sing and then he'd preach. It was a really interesting experience. And it was a shock, not about last year, when we discovered that that friend of mine is the head over the Church of God in Christ now. And I'm praying about what God will do there. God told me years ago, I will make the appointments. So I don't press anything, because that 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 won't do anybody any good. But I can't believe that this very dear friend of mine has now taken that position in an historic uh, historic Holy Ghost movement. And really, they began together. The Assemblies of God began with the Church of God in Christ, and um, it was because of racism basically a term is thrown around for anything now but they they got a lot of persecution and both the 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 african-american and the white guys came together and said look as long as we stay together we're going to be battling people instead of being able to seek for the lord so they chose they both chose to form separate movements and in fact the african-american side was much more advanced than the white guys they went ahead and got their 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 clergy uh, discounts on the railroad probably because so many of the guys that were in the church of god in christ were pullman on those trains and the white guys in the assemblies of god would get being the frugal the frugal frows they were um they they got their credentials with the church of god in christ so they could get discounts on train travel it's interesting isn't it so those movements have sprouted from the same root and um i'm i pray for lamb i pray for him i i saw a video i don't fall i just pray for him but i saw a video he had a really slick looking purple robe man he was stylish. And, of course, I couldn't say anything to him about this in front of his constituency. But if we get in a room alone together, it's going to be just like 1976. Uh, But anyway, I know that's coming, too. And I know that the enemy's doing everything he can in this country to create schism between Caucasian and African-American people. But that's not going to work in fact in the midst of this Saints Network now crucial people who we walk with as brothers and sisters together are African-American and we we love that we (laughs) from my heart I just cherish that you know Uh, so I, I declare over what God said about South America and I declare over the prophecies about the African-American church that let it be as God is ordained. And we declare that oikodome. We declare that awakening. These are the things that we have to be careful to proclaim because our words have power. And um, I, uh, I release that admonition and that exhortation to all of you. So don't let the enemy tell you that you're ineffective and that what you do doesn't matter god always looks for the voice of one crying in the wilderness he wants to turn into a of a beautiful flower flowering garden so um, and i know that there is a lot of breakthrough i i don't want to get too carried away with it because i i suspect that it's a refreshing it's an illumination of what's coming. Yes, it is a beginning, and that's delightful. It's not just a dollop. There is a, there is a break in the dam, and, and things are beginning to flow. But remember that it's not because of some high-powered group that suddenly discovered Dallas. It's because God has found you on your face here. Don't abandon that position because you're serving him don't abandon that position god always moves through that way Um, and um, so i speak over you uh, a tremendous blessing and i i pray that you will not be ashamed of the calling god has given us to edify the church and to see that manifested throughout the world. The church needs to be awakened, not just called to the altar to cancel their HBO subscription. The church needs to be functioning as the ecclesia of God. The, the gifts that God wants functioning in the church must be functioning. And somebody's gotta go in there at the direct of the Lord and pattern it and make disciples and that's what our calling is now there are other things that god does but that's the one that's most essential to the father's heart and why do you say that because that's what his son came to do to redeem us to the father didn't he to bring us back to the father and that our spirit might be born again that we might discover the truth that we would reflect that eternal identity of the Father that's be within us because when this life is over we surrender that back to God and what we've done with it is what is going to be. We will know as we're known. We want to be all that that he's called us to be. So don't be ashamed of that and don't let some other voice convince you that somehow you've missed it because you're not serving soup on the back lot be this be this and if you've been asked to reach out or to give something to somebody do that but the highest calling we ever will ever have and it's an eternal calling is at the feet of our father in heaven and that's what we're doing now and um it's it's the key to welcoming what he wants so i'll I'll give one other testimony We were so delighted the other day to get a a very long letter from this very precious couple in the southwest of France, and they were telling about the things that God was doing, how he was using them as intercessors, and the dreams they were having and um i just rejoice with that i i I rejoice at that and there are many such testimonies of people who have awakened to their identity in god that's what's going to welcome the kingdom and that's what our responsibility is to serve our father in that so proclaim declare in the heavens Let your voice speak out. Amen? So God bless all of you. Thanks for being here. And uh, just keep praying through the night, okay? Adios, amigos.